Kevin have both not feeling so well. I think they're both on the mend. Uh, I haven't talked to either one this morning. So, so I get to step in here and, and, and be here with you this morning, and I'm thrilled to be here. I just got back in last night from, uh, from a long drive, and I'm just excited to be here. So uh, a couple things we're going to do, and I'm going to in, jump into the Word. Lisa, why don't you come on up? Uh, we know that uh, Lisa's going to come up and pray. We know that, I don't know, I haven't really been in Florida for a while. I'm not sure, you know, how things are going in Florida, but I know where I just was in Kentucky. Uh, you know, the coronavirus is certainly ramping up. I think what's happening in Kentucky now is what they thought would happen in April and in terms of uh, the number of people getting it. We all have friends and family now that we know that are affected by this, if not because they're sick, then because of the things that are happening around them. And so we just want to pray, and Lisa's going to, to go after that. So, It's fine. I wanted to read um, Jeremiah 17, 14. Heal me, Lord, and I will be healed. Save me, and I will be saved, for you are the one I praise. Pray with me. Dear God, just thank you for today. Thank you that we could come together and praise your name. Thank you for the worship team. Thank you for just helping us get to that point in um, our time, our unity today to just praise you, and thank you for everything you've done for us. I come to you today to specifically pray for the people in our church and in our community people that we know that um, has been not feeling well, whether it be COVID or other things, God. I pray that you just heal their body, help them to be strong again, help them to use this time as a time of rest, rest for their heart, rest for their mind, just to grow closer to you, God. But I do pray that you just heal their body so that they can um, come back to us if they're a part of our church, go back to their regular um, things that they do, God. I pray for this COVID-19 to just to leave us, God, just to leave, um, to leave us, to not come back. God, I pray that you just um, take this nasty infection just to, to go away. It doesn't need to be a part of us. It's not helping us, and it just needs to leave us, and I pray that in your name. Help um, us to be encouragers for those that are sick, Help us to want to do whatever we can to help our um, friends and family and our brothers and sisters in Christ during this time. In your name I pray. Amen. Yeah. Come on. Thank you, Lisa. Yeah, continue to pray for your pastors. Uh, you know, it's, I know Brian uh, really felt kind of nailed earlier in the week, and I think he's. Like I say, he's on the mend, but, um, you know, he described it as kind of like a moderate, you know, flu, what he's feeling. So I know he's really, really tired and coming back around, but continue to pray. Joe, one of the most endearing things that we've done at this church is provide for people at Thanksgiving. Uh, it's been, I think, almost every year that we've been in existence, maybe except the first year or two, we've done something like this. And it's one of the things that I'm extremely proud of uh, looking at our church because, uh, I mean, I feel like every day is a day of Thanksgiving, but there are people who live within the sound of my voice who don't have anything. 
they, they, they don't have a meal like this uh, many times a year. And if at any time in the year we can do something, you know, when we're focusing on giving thanks to the Lord for all he's given us, what an incredible thing that we could reach out to those who have nothing. And so um, these, these baskets are returning, but I know you wanted to say a word about, about them. So, um, First of all, thank you for everybody who provided these baskets, who filled them up. Um, thank you for that. Uh, last year, Layla and I went and uh, delivered some of these uh, bags to people, and it was real. Some of these places were pretty rough, and um, hey, that's just the way it is. And that's why we're doing it, because a lot of people have less than we do. So thank you all for um, participating. And for those of you uh, who are going to be handing out bags, just meet with me after the service. Awesome. Yeah, thank you. That's perfect. Lord, we pray that you would provide for our community, that you would provide for us and that we would minister to those who are around us out of the overflow and abundance of what you're providing for us in Jesus' name. I think, uh, if I understand correctly, Sandy uh, is going to be figuring out what we have after the service, and then if we need to kind of fill that in to make sure we meet our obligations, she will. So if you're out there and you're watching from home and you're committed to bringing a, a basket in, it'd be nice to hear from you. Uh, maybe you could... Uh, I don't know, maybe send a, a message on the Facebook Messenger if you're following there, or, or, or if you could just have it here at the end of the service. Um, you know, I'm not sure if, that's, if, if you're going to be around later than that today, Sandy, but you're trying to get this done this afternoon, I think. Yeah, so as soon as you can get those back, that'd be great. Uh, I think we still do things around here like offerings, and so I'm going to pray, pray for that. If you, I know the buckets are here. We're not passing them, but if you brought an offering with you, you can place them in the bucket sometime before you leave. If you're home and you're giving online, we want to thank you and exhort you and encourage you to continue to give. You don't ultimately give to a church. You give to the Lord. And then we have a responsibility as stewards to properly use those, those resources. So, Father, we pray you would bless both gift and giver in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Brian, if I'm forgetting anything, you can just text me and tell me what I need to say. So, uh, it, is, it is good to be home. It is, it's really good to pull in last night, uh, not just from a long drive, but just the feeling of coming here and walking across uh, that uh, rickety old covered bridge and to be home is, and, and to be here with you this morning is, is glorious. And so I want to dip into a couple different portions of, of Scripture out of the book of Philippians. So if you have your Bible, open to um, Philippians, and just first I'm going to look at, at Philippians 1, the first just like verses 3 to 6, if I can find it. I've been in the book of Philippians, really, I've been kind of living there since March. I did a, I did a, a, a devotional series through the book of Philippians around April or so, but I've been in it since really March, and I really haven't gotten away from it. Uh, continued to kind of look back over it, and I would say that the book of Philippians is a book of joy and a book of thanksgiving. It's thanksgiving to the Lord, before the Lord, for people. And I would say that the number one most significant aspect of, of effective ministry, whether it's in your neighborhood, in your family, across the world, are the people that you have around you and how you love them. And so Paul is looking at the, the church in Philippi from Rome. He's under house arrest. He's had to basically rent a home and, you know, you know, in, in Rome, under guard, 
and he's writing back to a church that he loves deeply, and this is what he has to say to them. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from this day, or from the first day until now. Paul's saying, from the, from the, from the very first day I met you and we began to share in, in the Lord with you until now, you know, we, we've been in this together. A friend of mine who is a pastor was telling me the other day, I, he's, he's a little older than me, and he said, if my church decided they no longer wanted me to be here, I would go get a job you know, somewhere, let's just say the grocery store, and I would lead a coworker to Jesus, and then I would say, we should probably start meeting. And then we would start meeting, and then a few others would come to the Lord, and then we'd, just, we'd have a church. And he said, I would just do that until I die. His, and I think very much that's what Paul has in mind, he went to Philippi, he met some people, they came to the Lord, they began to meet together, they formed a church, and Paul is saying from that very first day until the day his, his hand is, is striking, you know, the, the papyrus with these words, he's saying, you've been in partnership with me, and for that I thank you. I am thankful for, for that, for every day. And being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. What Paul is saying is, Not only am I thankful for the partnership that you've been with me since the beginning, but I am thankful that Jesus isn't done with you. And I just want to say this morning that this expresses very much my heart as we enter into Thanksgiving, this week of Thanksgiving, that my heart is full of Thanksgiving. What I'm particularly thankful for is I'm thankful for the partnership that we've enjoyed in the gospel from the very first day until now. And I'm thankful for the fact that that work that the Lord began in you, he will carry forward until completion. Let me give you some good news. It's news that is good news. You've not arrived yet on the glassy shores. You're not entirely sanctified yet. His work isn't done with you yet. You hardly know Jesus yet. And what he desires to do for you and in you in the years to come what he's done for you so far pales in comparison to what he intends to do for you in the years to come. I don't care your age. This will be more of an application at the end of this message. So by, I, I say all of that to give you just this kind of update announcement on kind of where, where we are in our family, Carol and I. We went to Kentucky hoping to, to really hear from the Lord in this kind of season that we're in of, you know, now as a founding pastor, which basically means you still get paid a little something, but you don't really have to do anything which sounds a lot like being the senior pastor if, you're, if the jokes you only work on Sundays, which isn't true. Uh, but we really wanted to hear from the Lord, what do we do? You know, we have, what, I, what I'm jealous for for the rest of my life is what I've always wanted in the Lord. But what I really see now is, you know, uh, you have a medical scare when you get to be in your middle 50s and you start to really think about things differently. I, I'm like, I don't want to waste any time. I want, to, I want the highest and best use of my time to come out of my remaining years. I think I've got a third of my life left, and I, I want to I maximize every moment of it. I don't want to waste any of it. I don't want any part of my heart undivided or compromised. I want every part of my heart, you know, given over to him. And so, you know, how do we get there? Well, you know, so, you know, we've been praying, thought that we'd be on a three-month sabbatical of just, in my mind, we would you know, have lots of joyful time sitting around, talking a lot, praying, you know, hanging out with some friends. But of course, because of coronavirus, not so much of the friend thing, because of a bone infection in my foot, not so much of the hanging out thing. Um, You know, more like grinding it out in the hospital, begging God for healing, begging God to, to, you know, just to take the pain away. 
and I can't bear it anymore. Not thinking about what are you going to do in 2021, just thinking about what am I going to do tomorrow? What am I going to do right now? And so the funny thing is, is, is that, and I, I said this to you before we left in August, that the two things that have been true in every season of transition for us is that the Lord's abundant faithfulness and that our plans never go according to plan. It's held true, 100% held true. But the Lord has spoken to us, and I will tell you that, that we have a picture now for our next season. What we're going to be doing is we're going to be relocating after the first of the year up to Kentucky. Uh, we have a home you know, that we found up there, a place to settle. I'm going to be working with the ministries that I've been working with, including our church. I'm going to continue working uh, with all those ministries. I'm going to be joining Rich Stevenson, the Malachi Network, as co-director the Malachi Network. I'm going to be focusing on some of the international aspects of, of, of caring for our people and, and, and continuing to work with FAI and Dugeet uh, and Cornerstone International and Maranatha Church of Jacksonville. And so we're going to do that from there because there's some real strategic reasons that it's important and helpful for us to be there, at least for a season. I, I'll, I'll clue you in on this. I don't think we're going to live anywhere for the rest of our lives, like settled down. I think we're going to you know, be wherever the Lord would have us to be, and I have a sense in which it's going to be mobile you know, for the rest of our lives. And so we're going to be here, you know, doing, we're always going to be here. We'll be back here all the time. But um, I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about this, not because I'm not interested in talking about it, but because I want to get into the Word and not, and not spend a lot of time, too much time talking about myself. But to the extent that we have time, let's get together and, and chat about, um, about where we're going and how that matters to what you're doing as well. Deal? All right, so flip over into Philippians chapter 2. Of course, Philippians chapter 2 is famous for the hymn that Paul writes about Jesus, you know, descending to earth and becoming a servant and dying on the cross and therefore being lifted up. But after he, he preaches this, and even how we shine as stars, he, after he preaches this or, or, or writes these amazing words in Philippians 2, he shifts his focus to thanksgiving for two men, Timothy and a guy who I know how to pronounce his name the right way. I was just in a seminary town, and I made sure I pronounced it correctly while there so I wouldn't be judged. You would be Epaphroditus. But down here in the south, we say it properly. We say Epaphroditus. Isn't that how you learn to say it? Epaphroditus. And so Paul is thanking the Lord for Timothy and Epaphroditus, and he's saying, you know, Timothy's, uh, I hope to send Timothy to you soon. I hope that you know, he can bring you news about me, and every, you know, Timothy's great in all these ways, and, um, and I'm, you know, Timothy's great. He says, but regarding Epaphroditus in verse 25 uh, of, of chapter 2, I'm going to just walk our way, wade our way through the next five or six verses. He says, but I think it is necessary to send back to you, back to the church in Philippi from Rome, Epaphroditus, my brother my fellow worker, my fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. Now, let me just give you a few things to clue you in here in verse 25, what Paul means by all of this, because you've got to understand the context to get what's going on here. I'm, I basically want to talk to you this morning about gambling. About gambling. You realize the fact that you're playing a game of chance, so you're, you're gambling with your very life. And, and this is, uh, you'll, you'll see what I mean by this in a minute, but I want to unpack it through the, the story of this guy, Epaphroditus. Paul says, uh, Epaphroditus, by the way, his name, Epaphroditus, he's named after Aphrodite. 
the goddess of love. And his name has to do with something like the, 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 the beauty in the sky or something. He's named after Epaphrodite, which is a pretty important clue to understand how Paul comes to know him. He wasn't born in Philippi because there's no temple in Philippi to, Epaph- to, to uh, Epaph- Aphrodite. I'm sorry, I can't ever keep all those, those straight. So he's, he was born probably in Cyprus or someplace like that. His parents probably you know, were, were devotees to uh, Aphrodite. And Epaphroditus, Paul says here, he's my fellow, he's my brother. You know what it means to me when he says he's my brother? It means Paul didn't lead him to the Lord. He refers to Timothy as my son. So it tells me that he, it, it tells me that Paul views him more as a peer than he does as, as a spiritual son. It tells me also that Epaphroditus is probably older. Even though he's depicted almost always, if you go to, a, there's a mosaic of him in, a, in a, an old ancient church in, in Turkey, Lydia, uh, of him, he's depicted as a young man with a cloak over his shoulder. He, he almost certainly wasn't a young man. Paul refers to him as my brother, I think, as a contemporary. He refers to him as my fellow worker, meaning I think he didn't just come to deliver a message to Paul, but he came and labored alongside of Paul in Rome, and he refers to him as, a, as my fellow soldier, which clues me into something. Paul, as far as we know, is never a soldier, but I believe Epaphroditus was. I believe Epaphroditus probably served in the Roman army. Probably he was a praetorian guard, and the reason I believe that is because there's really good evidence that Philippi was a, was a, was a retirement destination for the Roman army. And what you would fight in wars, and as a result of your service, Caesar, the Caesar would give you land. You see this in the movie Gladiator. Uh, Maximus has land that he's cultivating, and this is what happened with officers in the, Ro- in the Praetorian Guard. They're given land, and Philippi was full of retired Roman soldiers. And I think Epaphroditus, after a, a lot of military history, settles down in Philippi, comes to the Lord, and as a result of coming to the Lord, gets used by the church in a powerful way. It says that he was sent as a messenger to meet Paul's need. What does that mean? It means he brought Paul money. But it was expensive to, to, to be under house arrest in Rome. You've got to pay for your, you know, your place. He's Paul's, the evidence of Paul's arrest is he was living in a really, he was living kind of in the upper crust area of, of Rome. It probably cost him something. Paul, Epaphroditus, probably delivered to Paul a message from the, of encouragement and money from the church in Philippi. And so, uh, so I believe that you now have a guy who's a contemporary to Paul, age-wise, was a soldier, was used to being under authority, and uh, was willing to, be, to, to, do, to take a dangerous mission, to basically leave the comfort of his retirement area, to go to Rome, not an easy journey, probably took him about 60 days to get there, it's probably like walking to the Gulf Coast and then taking a boat to Alabama, you know, cutting across the Gulf. That's about like what his trip was like. Probably took him 60 days. He might have gotten sick on the way. We don't know. Uh, but something happens to him that's it's really, really significant. So uh, let's, let's continue on and we'll, we'll pick that up. It literally says he's a messenger. It means he's, the word that Paul uses there is apostle. Apostle isn't just one who has authority in the church. An apostle can literally mean just one who brings a message. So Epaphroditus is literally a messenger, an apostle to the apostle Paul. Kind of cool. And so in verse 26, it says, um, I'm, you know, so again, I'm gonna, it's, I'm, I think it's necessary to send Epaphroditus back to you for these reasons. Verse 26, for he longs for all of you 
and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. Now, I would tell you, from, a, from the standpoint of working with a lot of missionaries, that when I read this, I read this as, at surface level, as a story of a failed missionary. This feels like a missionary who went on mission from Philippi to Rome to do ministry, got homesick, started worrying about the people at home because he'd, he'd gotten literally sick, then began to worry about, because you can't just FaceTime, you know, in 50 A.D., you know, so it takes a while for word to get back and forth. So they don't hear from Epaphroditus, so they're worried about, about him. He's worried about them being worried about him. He almost dies. So Paul's thinking, you know, ah, I should probably just send him home. It feels like in my world where I work with a lot of missionaries when we have to make rough decisions about maybe sending somebody home. It doesn't feel good. And so, and, I, and, I th- in the, and I'll get at the end of this passage why I think that's such a significant thing because Paul addresses this. Uh, and so he, here's... Here's a, uh, Epaphroditus who is, and here's another reason why I think he's, he's a military guy. I've ministered almost entirely in military communities around bases. And one of the things I've learned about being around people who have military experience is you can take a man out of the Marines, but you can never take the Marine out of the man. Right, Andy? And so it's been my observation, people who put in their 20 or 25 or whatever time in the military retire, they still live a regimented military lifestyle. They still say, yes, sir, no, sir. They still have a discipline as far as their time is concerned, the way they react in dangerous situations. It's because the way they've been trained. It reminds me of a buddy of mine who is a former special forces, maybe a Navy SEAL guy, who went into Syria and helped to set up medical, a medical team and he had Syrian rebels around him who didn't like him a whole lot. He's, an, he's, a, he's a short African. He's from Cote d'Ivoire, but he was a Navy SEAL or Special Forces guy. He didn't look or act like they wanted him to. He's a, you know African-American, maybe this tall, and he's, he's been here to this church and, and, and prayed on this stage. And he, when he went in, they didn't really like what he was doing. So you know what he said to these rebels? You're fat and out of shape, and you couldn't, you couldn't fight my grandmother. We're going to get up every morning at sunrise and do calisthenics. And he got him up and he got him doing calisthenics. And when, he, when they got him doing exercises, he began to declare the gospel to them in the context of doing exercises. Why did he do that? Because in a dangerous situation, he wouldn't freak out. He'd been in situations and he resorted to what he knew. his training, discipline. You know, soldiers know how to act like soldiers. And I believe that this is probably what Epaphroditus was like for Paul. He shows up alongside Paul. He delivers a message and says, what needs to be done? And Paul says, well, there's Praetorian guards all around me. They need to hear the gospel. And I believe Epaphroditus began to do ministry in a dangerous way because what does it mean to be a Christian under Caesar who's not yet a Christian? It means if you declare that you're, you're Caesar, your Lord is Jesus, you die. And so Epaphroditus is taking his life into his hands by doing this, but he's okay doing that. And so here's what I think happens. Paul says, you know, you almost died. And if you died, the church back in Philippi would be devastated. Like, they, they, they haven't done a whole lot of this send out a missionary thing. They'd be devastated. It might wreck them as a church. I'd be devastated because it happened here under my watch. 
I'm also preparing to go on trial, you know, to, attending to, to you. You also are worried about them. I think maybe the best course of action is for you to make your way back to them and so you can deliver to them a message of joy, that you're okay. Also, guess what Epaphroditus does when he returns back to Philippi? Guess what he brings with him? A letter to Philippi that we call the book of Philippians. We're thankful that this guy was sent back with this letter. He also went back to resolve a dispute that we see, it, you know, um, it could have been two men, but I think in this case just happened to be two women who couldn't get along, and, and, and Epaphroditus, I think, was, came back with words from Paul at the beginning of Philippians 4 that, that says, knock it off. You need to learn to love one another. You need, you need to get over your petty differences. I know one of you is a Republican and one of you is a Democrat. I know one of you is a mask wearer, one of you is not. But this is not the kingdom. What Paul's saying to them essentially is, if you're still worried about, you know, issues that, you, that are not related to the kingdom, if you're bitter or you're offended or you're angry or you're um, unwilling to fellowship with someone who is a believer a fellow believer, a brother or sister, you're willing to sit in fellowship at a table because you have differences about issues that are lower than the kingdom, you're in sin. Knock it off. So Epaphroditus comes back with, a, with, with, with this message. Aren't you thankful for Epaphroditus, a deliverer of a message like this? So Paul sends him back, but it says, um, in verse 29 and 30, it says, welcome him. This is what he says to the church of Philippi. He's going to come back. You sent him to me to serve in mission, but now he's going to come back, and you might be a little surprised that he came back. Maybe you heard word. You know, why are you back? What happened? Welcome him in the Lord with great joy. Do you see that there? Welcome with great joy and honor men like him. It says honor men like Epaphroditus. Why? Why honor Men like Epaphroditus. Paul says why. He says, this is a cause and effect thing. He says, I want you to, to ascribe honor. Do you, do you get that Paul, Paul is commanding honor? Can you command honor? You, I, I mean, you don't think you can. It's like respect. But, you, but if you have enough authority, if, if the, if, Andy, if you're a Marine and, the, and, and a general says to you, you, you will honor that sergeant. You'll honor him, won't you? So Paul has enough apostolic authority to say to the church in Philippi, you will honor this man, but here's why you're going to honor him. He almost died for the work of the Lord, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. Now, Epaphroditus brought to me what you couldn't bring to me. He brought the money. He brought probably a word from you but he also came and labored. He calls him a fellow worker, a fellow soldier, a fellow brother. He, I, I, he, he came and labored alongside of Paul in a way that I think probably knit their hearts together in a deep, deep way. But what Paul says of Epaphroditus here in, in verse 30, he only says once ever. It's the only time this word's used in the, in the New Testament. He says, he, he, he steals a word from the casino. Literally, it's a gambling word. And what Paul says is that Epaphroditus, it's like Epaphroditus showed up at the casino and he stepped up to the card table, and he took all of his money, and he shoved it all into the middle of the table and said, on one hand, I'm going all in. Or he 
put all of his money in the middle and spun the wheel and said, I'm betting everything on red 32. I better stop. You'll think I have a lot of in, intimate knowledge of casinos. But do you get what he's saying? You guys have seen like a poker game where you shove all your chips into the center. He says, Epaphroditus did that with his life. He put his whole life in. He didn't hold anything back. He put it all, and he almost died as a result. Now, we don't know exactly why, but I'm going to tell you what I think happened. I believe in this time in Rome, a pandemic had broken out, and Epaphroditus was willing to go and attend to those who weren't believers in particular, who were sick, to declare to them the gospel and to bring them physical aid. And as a result, he catches this the sickness and almost dies. Now, I'm not saying to you that in order to be all in, you need to go and take your mask down and start ministering to people who are sick. But guess what? You might at some point. It might come a day. Maybe tomorrow. Maybe the next pandemic where you as a believer are going to have to pull, put, your, put yourself at risk in order to lay your life down. You know why? Because if you properly fear the, the Lord, you have no other fears. There's no, what can this world take from you that he can't restore? Are you worried about your life? If you're worried about your life, I wonder whether you've actually settled business with Jesus yet. And so Paul says, honor men like Epaphroditus who almost died because he went all in. Just think about it right now. What compartments do you have set up in your life, like your work life, your married life, your parenting life, your church life, your, you know, your shopping life, all these little financial life, all these little, you know, these little divisions you have? And what Paul's saying is that what Epaphroditus did is he pulled out all the dividers and it was just one life. And Jesus had access to all of it. And as a result of that, he was all in. And he almost died, and he didn't. And I'm thankful he didn't. And he's coming back to you, so honor men like him. There's power in going all in. And I just want to give you four applications out of that. It won't take long to run through these. They're simple. They're very, because I just am at the point now in my life where I'm thinking about things like, I, if it doesn't really have tangibility, you can't, you know, I mean, I do think there are certain times where deep reaches out to deep, and I'm a total believer in that, but I want more and more to have messages that have flesh on them, where, where you know, you, where there's something that you can do about it, and, you, you know, you can, you can think about things in a way, uh, like, what, what change would that bring to my life? So you ready? First one first change, or the first issue, application. You cannot give away what you don't have. Right? I mean, you can try to give away your neighbor's stuff, but it doesn't usually go well. The police get called, you know? I, I can't, I can only properly give away to Yolanda something that belongs to me. I can say, Yolanda, here's my phone. You can have it. It's my phone. You can have it. But if I don't have a phone, I can't give her a phone. The same thing's true with our faith and with the gospel. If you don't own it, you can't give it away. But if you do own it and you give it away, you don't lose it. Jim Elliott, who was a man who was martyred at the end of a spear in, in, in Ecuador, re, he was famous, made famous for saying something that somebody else had said. He said, um, he is no fool who gives away what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He also said, when it comes time to die, make sure all you have to do is die. Like, don't have any other unfinished business that you have to do. What does it say about Epaphroditus? It says he was a brother to Paul. Are you a brother or sister to Paul? 
Like, I don't want to mix words with you. I, I believe even, you know, there's not a ton of people here today. I realize why. But in this room, I'm certain there's somebody here who's not walking with the Lord. And if you're not walking with the Lord, you can't give this away. Not only that, but, you, you, you know, you live in danger. You're gambling with your life. That if you were to die apart from Christ, I, I mean, I, a Christless eternity is, 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 it's just, I can tell you, I spent a couple of, I spent a night in a hospital fighting demons. And I don't mean metaphorically. I can tell you the torment and the, and the anguish and, and, the, and the, the, the pain of that night is something I never want to face again in my life. If you've not settled business, if you've not trusted Jesus as the Lord of your life, if his spirit, the Holy Spirit, isn't testifying to your spirit that you're a child of his, if your sins aren't forgiven, if you've drifted from him, if you don't have within your heart a guarantee, a feeling, a, a down payment, the seal of the spirit guaranteeing your eternity with the Lord, you need to deal with this today. If you're home, you need to get on your knees at your couch and just say, Lord, I repent of my sins. I thank you for your death on the cross. Save me from my sins, and I, I'll follow you. i make you the Lord of my life. Epaphroditus knew these truths. He, the reason he was willing to put his life at risk, I'm certain of it, is because he knew who owned his life. His body was not his own. It had been bought at a great price. Has your body, have you received the rewards of the redemption of your body that you have no fear? Second, the Apostle Paul characterized Epaphroditus as a selfless guy. He, he, he characterized him as a guy who is like he, Jesus. And in Philippians 2, Paul writes that great hymn, but before that great hymn, here's what he says. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourself. What? <laughs> Let me just put that in Jeff English just to when you think about the things you're going to do with your life, Paul is saying for you to be in Christ means that you would look to the people who are around you, your family, your you know, if you're married, your spouse, your children, your parents, your friends, your co-workers, the the Islamic guy that lives next door? He says you would look to their life and look to their needs. You'd look to what's going on, somebody who voted different than you, and you would say, I think I'm better than them. And I may be willing to adjust my life to a point where I'd see them as an equal. You know, we're all equal. We're all God's children, all that baloney. Paul's saying if you're in Christ, that's not far enough. You have to get to a point where you would lower yourself and get beneath them low enough that you would look up to them in their eyes and say, I'll minister to you from this perspective. In fact, I'll wash your feet. So when you consider your life in Christ, does it look like Epaphroditus, who is selfless enough to volunteer to go to Rome and help out Paul in his time of need, when you consider your life in Christ, do you ask ever... What's in it for me? Money in the bucket. What's in it for me? You know, I'll help out and serve. I'll deliver some Thanksgiving baskets. What's in it for me? I'll do this or that, but what's in it for me? 
Or do you ask yourself, how can I be of service to others? How can I serve you, Lord? And I will tell you this, a healthy church, a healthy life in Christ, the DNA of that is selflessness. You find the selflessness running all throughout the DNA of, of a healthy system, particularly a healthy congregation, where people are willing to serve at their own expense. Are you willing to check yourself before the Lord? I I can tell you I've experienced a good deal of conviction in this phase of transition in my life of saying, Lord, how much of this have I been evaluating from the perspective of what's in it for me? Like a friend of mine said to me about choosing a spouse that he was dating a girl in college and he realized that he was saying to the Lord, I'm going to choose somebody and ask you to bless her. He said he realized that he was going about it all wrong. And I thought to myself as he shared that advice, that's the way I was thinking about my life. I'm going to choose what I want to do and ask you to bless it. Are you really willing to go before the Lord and say, Lord, direct my steps, guide me, show me what to do, when to do it, who to do it with, how to do it, and to do it in a way that's humble and serves you, that goes low? Third, Epaphroditus, in my estimation, was retired. Now, the life expectancy was different at that time than it is now, so he probably wasn't all that old, but he was probably the the equivalent of retirement age, you know, today which I'm not really there, and I'm not ever planning to, phys- you know, to really retire, but I can tell you I can get like the senior discount now at Dunkin' Donuts and places like that, and it doesn't embarrass me anymore. I'll, yeah, I'll take that senior discount. Bring it on. And Epaphroditus, I believe, worked on this philosophy. This is the, the third application. I'd rather wear out than rust out. I don't think the word retirement was in his vocabulary. So when Epaphroditus you know, leaves one career as a soldier in the imperial army, he refocuses his life as a soldier in the army of the Lord. He engages in a different type of warfare. And I want to ask you, have, have you, are you willing to refocus your life in order to be engaged in whatever battle or assignment the Lord would give you? Here's my point in this. You're not too young. You're not too old. You're not too qualified. You're not too underqualified. You're not too anything for the Lord to use you. The greatest ability he's ever given you is availability. Are you available to be used by the Lord? If he says, in the middle of the night, whom can I send? Are you poking, you know, the person next to you? Or are you calling, you, you know, texting your friends, saying, I think the Lord's calling you? You have, I want you to hear these words very clearly. You have a personal and non-transferable calling on your life. You have a personal and non-transferable call, every one of you. You are called by God. I, let me even say this. I believe that personal non-transferable calling is knowable. I don't believe it's beyond your ability to know it. I think sometimes it's difficult to, to get it exactly right, to specify exactly what's going on. You know, it takes a while sometimes. Sometimes you have to look back on it and make adjustments. That's fine. But you have a personal and non-transferable calling. on You can't expect... Epaphroditus couldn't expect somebody else to do what he was called to do, and you can't expect somebody else to do what God's called you to do. Are you willing to at least ask the Lord, Lord, what is it that you are uniquely and specifically calling me to do with my life that might require adjustment today? Are you willing to pray that prayer? Just nod ahead. This is maybe. I see that maybe. Finally, 
Epaphroditus, as we've already said, he took great risks for the sake of the gospel. He, he, exactly what he did to gamble his life, we don't know, but I'm sure that he was greatly rewarded when he stood before the, you know, when he stands before the judgment seat of Christ. You know, there's two things that you're going to answer when you stand before Christ or stand before God. You know what they are? Two questions you're going to be asked. Number one, what did you do with Jesus? Did you make him Lord of your life? Yes or no? If the answer is yes, then come on in. You're part, no, then you're, you're apart from him. The second question is, what did you do with your life? Like, like and the first question determines where you spend eternity. And the, second, the answer to the second question determines, like, how. Like, I'm not, there's no bad spot in heaven, but I'm telling you, authority and all these things are, you know, there, there's going to be an accountability for how we spent our lives. Are you yet ready? Are you willing even today to gamble your life? Your life for the sake of the gospel. This is no. This is yes. This is maybe. You remember the words to, or do you remember these words from the great hymn? We're the whole realm of nature, mine, that we're offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine. Demands my soul, my life, my all. It was, the, it was this divine love of the Lord that motivated Epaphroditus to risk everything to follow Jesus because he died and rose again from the dead in, in order to pay all of Epaphroditus' sins. And the only reasonable thing that Epaphroditus saw that he could do with his life as a response to this was to live completely for the Lord Jesus, completely. There's power in going all in. You don't have to worry about what you have to eliminate. You, you just go all in for Jesus. Let him sweep away all the embankments, and you're just in with him. And Epaphroditus says, you, you bought me. You bought every part of me. And when I was in the hospital, there was a night where, and I'll just tell you very frankly, that there was a few days where they were like, prepare, you're never going to walk again, and you're probably going to have to amputate your leg. I thought I was hallucinating. They came and said it again and again. I'm like, okay. And, you know, first, those are, that's kind of staggering words. And I got some well-meaning text messages from people saying, well, don't worry. God's just calling you to settle down and not do so much. And I was like, no. I didn't want to be mad at those texts because they're well-meaning. So I was praying, and I was saying to the Lord, don't take away the bitterness from my heart. I don't want to be mad. I want to be all in for you. And here's what I heard the Lord say. He said, Jeff, what part of your body did I not redeem? What part's not mine? What part's not available? And I said, Lord, it's all available. He says, then okay, that's it. It's settled. It doesn't matter. You know, if if they start eliminating parts, are you going to, like, quit? So what's reasonable? What's a reasonable act of worship for us in response to Jesus dying, taking the full cup of wrath for our sin that we could be eternally reconciled to him? What's a reasonable response to that? I think a reasonable response is to give him everything, to go all in. So my question is, Are you willing to do the same? There's a plague, possibly Ebola, that that according to scholars, that that swept through the Roman world around the 360s. And at the height of it, 5,000 people were dying every day in Rome alone. And some cities, two-thirds of the people died. And there was an emperor named Julian. Constantine, around 313, turned the Roman Empire Christian. But Julian renounced Christianity around 350, And he reinstated state paganism. And this is what he wrote about this plague. He said, the recent Christian growth was caused by their moral character, even if that was pretended. He didn't really like the Christians. By their benevolence towards strangers and their care for the graves of the dead. 
lot, the bodies had been left in the street and in ditches, and the Christians would go and take the bodies and bury them and give them honor. And this is what Julian said. He said, the impious Galileans supported not only their own poor, but ours as well. Everyone can see that our people lack aid from us. They get it from the Galileans. He's saying that in the, in the, in the midst of this plague, the Christians were showing up and doing things that the government could never do. There was a, a, a pope by the name of Dionysus who commented on a plague that ran through the Roman Empire in 250 AD, and this is what he said. Believers fearlessly visiting the sick and continually ministering to them, serving them in Christ, most cheerfully departing this life with them, becoming infected with the affliction of others, and drawing the sickness from their neighbors onto themselves, and willingly taking over their pains. And many, after they had cared for the sickness of others and restored them to health, themselves died, transferring their patients' death to themselves. And the best of our brethren among us departed from us in this manner. Some elders and deacons and some just regular people, this form of death, which has its origin in much piety and strong faith, seemed to be little short of martyrdom. Do you know what they called this group of people that did this? They were being written about in both cases. There's actually a group of people who would go out and do this. Do you know what they called them? Paul uses a word, I told you, only once in the New Testament, in Philippians 2.30, about Epaphrodite risking his life, going all in, remember? It's, it's, I, don't, I know how to pronounce it kind of in Greek, but I'm not going to try to impress you because I'll mess it up and somebody will call me out on it. But that word would be roughly translated gambling, you know, going all in. The noun form of that would mean gambler. The people who went out and, and did this with their lives were named after Epaphroditus. They were called, a group of them, the gamblers. This is what they did with their lives. They were willing to go and minister to people who were sick that they might know Jesus, that they wouldn't face a Christless eternity. Now, again, I'm not suggesting to you that for you to be radical and to be all in, you need to go out and start knocking on doors and asking people to have COVID and then asking them to breathe on you. But I am asking you this. What about your faith today? In what ways, here's, here's the question, in what ways are you exercising your faith? What are you believing God for that will only happen if God does something? Now, let me say that again slowly. What are you believing God for right now that will only happen if God does something in your life? What are you believing God for right now in this moment that will only happen if God does something? I'm not talking about a Christmas present. AirPods, AirPods, AirPods. You know, PS5. I'm not talking about stuff. I'm saying... What is it you're believing God for in your life that will only happen if God does something? You got the question? The reason it's important is I have a follow-up question. You got it? You with me? Do you realize it's a problem if you don't have an answer for that? for, For a believer in Jesus, you realize if you don't have an answer right now to what is it that I'm believing the Lord for that will only happen if you if the Lord moves, if you don't have a if you don't have an answer for that, that's a problem. We need to be exercising our faith. I, I'm, I'm walking, woohoo, right now. But I can tell you six weeks ago, I wasn't walking. I couldn't walk at all. And you know what I had to do in order to get to the point I could walk? I had to go to physical therapy, and day by day, I had to grind. A lot of pain, a lot of effort, and I still have a lot of work to do. I had to exercise little by little to get here. I couldn't get it all in one day. What are you doing right now to exercise your faith? If you're not exercising your faith, it's atrophying. 
You're either sinking or swimming. If you're not swimming, you're sinking. What are you doing right now to exercise your faith? You have a personal and non-transferable call in your life. Come on up, praise team, worship team, worship, praise and worship team. A friend of a friend of mine who was a missionary in Uganda, and he was ministering once in front of a very, what became a very unruly and dangerous crowd. And I can tell you, having been to Africa a few times, that, you know, with big gatherings, sometimes things get out of control. And it really got to a point where it was very dangerous. And when it got to the height of it, they didn't know what to do. This guy's 12-year-old son grabs a microphone at this gathering and says this, bring me your sick and lame and my God will heal them. So the 12-year-old boy said, bring me your sick and your lame, and my God will heal them. So what do you think happened? The woman comes forward with a sizable tumor, and the little boy lays hands on her, prays for her, and the tumor disappears. 12-year-old. A 12-year-old in the moment was willing to exercise faith in such a way that the only way that it could come to pass would be if God moved, right? There's nothing he could do to make that happen. One of my favorite stories that, 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 that I think about all the time, it propels me in, in my life and the things that I want to do for the Lord is a story often told. It's a little bit mythical. It's a true story. It just gets kind of conflated. There are two young missionaries. They were Moravians. Have you ever heard of the Moravians? The Moravians birthed a missions movement by gathering together 24-7 in worship and prayer for 100 years. 100 years they kept worship and prayer going. And out of that, you know, prayer and worship is what catalyzes and fuels missions. And out of it, people began to feel called to go to the uttermost parts of the world. And two young missionaries willingly sold themselves into slavery because it was the only way that they could reach 3,000 African slaves in the West Indies. There was a man that owned these slaves, had them on an island, and he said, no white man will ever come here and declare the gospel. The only way these two young men could get on this island was to, sell, to, to, to give themselves over in slavery. They knew that these, these slaves that were held there needed to have a reliable and faithful witness to the glory and the testimony that was, of God's love as revealed in Jesus. And so think about that. Two 20-somethings set sail for a lifetime of one way, suffering and, and, and sacrifice for the Lord. And as they did this on the shores... In, in, in England, their loved ones, actually I don't know if it's England, somewhere that area, their loved ones stand on the shore weeping, realizing the fact that we're probably never going to see these guys again. This is the way the missionaries of old left. They left with their belongings packed in their coffins. And those two young faithful witnesses, they linked arms on the boat and they shouted to their weeping family, may the lamb that was slain receive the war- reward of his suffering. That was their departing words. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. So I'm just going to pray, and then they're going to close us with a song. Jesus, we're so thankful in advance of this Thanksgiving week for what you've done for us. You are the good shepherd. You are the one who pursues us with your love. And you're also, you're not just the good shepherd who pursues us. You are the lamb who was slain. You are our lamb, the lamb who has conquered. And Jesus, because you've conquered all, conquer our fears, 
conquer our reluctance, conquer the roadblocks in our will that we put up that would prevent us from going all in like Epaphroditus. We need to know the power of going all in. And if you've conquered all and you are going out into the frontier, wherever it may be, across the street or into the frontier of a broken marriage or children who are apart from you or across the world, literally, wherever it may be, if you're going, then let us follow you wherever that may be. In Jesus' name. You can stand with us and sing, do that. I'm going to pray at the altar. You're welcome to join me. And then somebody will close us out. Nail pierced hands, the wounded side. This is love. This is love. The holy heart, the sacrifice. This is love. This is love. I bow down to the down to the holy
Yes, Lord. What a perfect song to express that. If that's on your heart, what a perfect way to express your willingness to surrender all lesser plans to His. I want to just boost again what Lisa prayed earlier. Specifically, I want to pray for Pastors Brian and Kevin and their families and then send us out with blessing. And so Jesus, let it be said of us, as far as it's up to our, our hearts and our wills, let it be said of us that we're, we're a church full of gamblers. We're a gambling church. We're willing to go all in. We push it all into the center of the table. We trust the fact that you're far better at running our lives than we are. And I pray, Father, in Jesus' name that you would heal Pastor Brian, heal his body, that all sickness would leave him and leave his household, that no one in his family would would fall victim to the sickness and that he'd be well. We pray the same for Pastor Kevin, that he and his family would be well. In Jesus' name, we pray specifically that you would keep this sickness away from Zoe and the whole household. Father, we ask that you would bless us this week, but that you would remind us, not just this week, but every day, how thankful we should be for all that you've given us and how thankful we are for each other. In Jesus' name, Maranatha.